Welcome to the Skill Stadium, a podcast for the skilled trades, where you can learn about the opportunities and benefits of working in the skilled trades from business owners, hiring managers, and the hardworking, talented professionals. And now, your host, Keith Williams. Good morning. This is Keith Williams with the Skill Stadium Podcast, episode 65. Today, we are going to be talking about the electric industry, and I have a CEO who's working in that industry, who has a number of years experience. We're going to talk about how this industry is evolving. It's not the typical jobs that some people think of when they think of electricians. So my guest today is really going to give you some great information about how the industry is evolving and the wonderful opportunities that are in this industry. Again, the Skill Saving Podcast, we are a podcast once a week where we feature people who work in the skill trades, sharing their advice, experiences, stories, and any jobs they may have. So my first guest today is Tanya Hicks. She's the CEO of Power Solutions. Tanya, welcome to the Skill Saving Podcast. Please tell us a little bit about you and your background. Um, Yes. As you stated, I'm I'm the um, owner and founder of Power Solutions, but I started out um, in Meridian, Mississippi, my hometown, and um, I started my career in the electrical industry in Local 917, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. And I did start out in college first, and after my sophomore year, I, the only pathway my professor, uh, one of my professors, you know, was trying to get me to do was to be a, a math teacher because I was a major in math and I didn't want to be a, a teacher. So I decided to look at other avenues or other occupations where I could use math because I love math and also, you know, have an exciting career. I didn't just want to be a, go to to a school every day teaching students. And so um, after my sophomore year, I worked on the construction site on the laborers team, and I saw the electricians. It was an industrial site. It was a paper mill. And I saw those industrial electricians using math and calculating loads and all the things. I was like, this is so fascinating. This is what I want to do. I didn't know at the time that it was hard. I did not know that that I was supposed to, um, that I was one of the few, very, very few. I ended up graduating from that program. It's a five-year program in the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers uh, for five, in five years, because it takes a minute. And But you're going to school at night and you're working in a day. It's an apprenticeship program. And so I, I ended up becoming the first woman in the, in, in my local to be a uh, journeyman electrician in the IBW and one of the f- very first few black women in the state of Mississippi to be in the, in the union. I dare to say I was the first. So. Tell us about your years of experience. How many years had, had you been working in this space? Well, I, I've been working in this space for since I was, I'm, I'm a 49. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to tell my age. And uh, I've been working, I started out at 21 years old. Excellent. Excellent. Also, can you tell us like, you know, like an award or something significant that has happened to you through your career that you're very proud of? It's kind of been a lot. I can't really say, I can't really, I don't want to want to choose one award, but I think one thing that I can say that was very impactful and was my article last 
March in the New York Times. I did not realize, I knew the New York Times was big. I knew that. But I thought I was going to be part of, you know, have a little blurb or be part of a little series. And when I was on the whole page and that was a little, that was really, really shocking. And then another thing was my picture they put on there because they had a, a photographer come in and everything. She took a picture of me in front of some switch gear. I was on the real job site, so she had to come to meet me. And because um, you never see us, we, we're truly still hidden figures. Yes. And so to see a black woman operate in that capacity, doing that work on an international stage, that was impactful for me. And for, and for my um, the women in my industry. How do you think the New York Times found you? Like, cause that's a really big deal. Was it uh, something that you were doing that really caught the attention? Was it someone had recommended that they reach out to you? Because that's a um, big deal. Yes, it was someone that that told a friend of mine, Natalie, um, reached out to me asking me was I interested. And I'm not really sure if they were doing a series on the women leadership. And so in our industry is so few of us, just electricians, only 3% of the electricians in the United States are women. Yes. So you can just imagine it's like yes. point 0.2 or like yes. 0.1, like point 0.1 that are owners. Yeah. And so that's, that's how I think they got into touch with me. And um, I've done several things in New York. The year prior, I was a speaker at the Embrace Tour conference on International Women's Day with Tori Burke. And that was streamed in, I think, over six countries. Oh, yes. So, yeah. So you got on the radar then, I would say. <laughs> you know, it's amazing the power of social media, because uh, I'll tell you, we are having this interview right now as a result of social media. I, I mean, I didn't know you before before we've done this podcast. So actually, I interviewed, uh, I want to say I interviewed someone who'd recommended you. I'll tell you in a second. It was Angel Savoy. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. Yes. Yeah. She, yeah. she, she recommended I reach out to you, and then I jumped on LinkedIn. So again, I, I say this just to say that the power of these social media platforms are, it's unbelievable. Let's talk about your company because, you know, again, you're you're an industry that's male-dominated and you're the CEO of a company. Please tell us about the work that, you're, that you do with your company because I know you're busy and you're on the road and uh, we'd love for you to talk about your company, please. Well, for I didn't want to, you, you know, really start really basically what electrical contractors do and what electricians do because think a lot of the times people, the terminology is kind of used in several different jobs. And I'm not really understanding why, like a lot of people call you an engineer and we are not engineers. Engineers design and we install what they, they design. Mm-hmm. Electricians do not design, design and they should not be hired in the capacity to design. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not taking that just from my my union roots and, um, you know, in the union, we protect our work and we also protect and respect the work of others. And so I was sometime in our industry, you'll find um, people that will use engineer and electrician, electrician interchangeably. And it's not the same thing. I've heard people say that. Interestingly, I've heard people say that. And I'm glad you cleared that up. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh yeah, and I because you know we like I said you want you want people I want people to have a clear pathway to this career. And if you're going down the track of being an engineer or you're overwhelmed about what it takes to be an engineer, then you may give up too soon. Mm-hmm. So yeah, because it takes a lot more to be an engineer than to be an electrician. Think, yeah, do you think that people make the transition from? Uh, an electrician to an engineer sometimes. So when people are going into that career path, I've heard people say this, that they start off as an electrician and then they might want to change careers down the road to become an engineer. Is that helpful? Is that a natural progression? Well, no, because we we, we make about the same amount of money. I don't know why you would want to, other than if something was to happen to you physically, sure. you could physically do the work and you needed more of a desk job. Sure. It might be the transition or even transitioning to be an estimator or a project manager. But engineers are very specific. It's, it's a very specific electrical engineering is very, it's a niche. It's, you would have to want to design and to sit there for hours putting together construction documents. And, mm-hmm. and usually people that choose to be electricians, we're more hands-on, more on the go, like someone, you know, from project to project. So I just think it depends on the type of person. I wouldn't say you need to be more educated to be, I mean, I mean, I guess more intelligent to be an engineer. I wouldn't say that. It does take more um, education in college. Mm-hmm. But as I told you, it takes five years to become a union electrician. Oh, yeah. And we're, yeah, and we're around 100000 a year. And, and that's in the South. So it's even and more. And out the debt, too. By the way, just yeah, and so being an engineer, it takes four years in college. So, and you may get a master's or something like that. I just think it, it just depends on the person and what they choose to do. And um, and I really think either track is awesome because we are one of the main jobs of the future. You know, I tell everyone that it's like right. It'll be a very long time before our robots will be will be replacing us. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you think about now, we, we're, we're on live, we're doing an interview. Uh, if my electric wasn't working, this wouldn't be happening. So how important, you know, you got up and your electricity was working, right? So how important is that? It's something that we take for granted. Well, and, you know, I don't want to date this interview, but if you looked uh, what, a month or so ago, a little over a month ago, when Texas was without power, mm-hmm. you know, the devastation they oh, had yeah. on everyone. And he's, he, the devastation is even worse on people, on low-income people. Yes. You cannot live without power today. Yes. 100%. Not, not in a, you know, not in a, I mean, you may be in, if you're in the woods or camping, you know, something like that. Yeah. But in a civilized society, you need electricity. Definitely. Definitely. Yes. Talk to me about, you know, your company, you guys do a lot of international work. What are some of the biggest challenges as it relates to culture? Because you're going all over the world, you know, with your company. I was very impressed with that. Can Thank you tell you. us about some culture challenges? Well, um, I'm launching an office right now in Singapore. And and for people that seek, want to work in China, Singapore, you know, you have it. You have to set up a holding company there because they don't allow foreign companies to operate 
within their city or country. So so the only culture shock there, was, I did not realize it wasn't um, that many Black people there. Sure. And so, you know, just getting used to people taking pictures of you, coming up to you, wow. kids to touch you, you know, it's just kind of like, what? and at first I was so clueless about that part. I was so focused on the work, the government, people doing business with people there that I didn't even look at, I didn't even think about, to be honest, you know, the place for Black people there. You know, I knew we were a minority there, but I didn't know it was like that. And so it was so funny because I have a, I'm from Mississippi. I have a really deep Southern accent and, you know, just so you don't even think about your terminology. Like, would you, like when you say, I'm going, I, I told, I was like, oh, I'm so tired. I'm going to, I'm going to lay down. And they were like, they could not understand. Even my translator couldn't understand. Like, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, and I had positioned my hands to say I'm going to sleep. Yes. And like, oh, he's like, it's just simple little stuff like that. I, I love the, I'm learning so much from the people in Singapore and in Taiwan. And um, they're in what I'm really in their dedication to sustainability and smart city um, living utilizing smart city technology as a way to support their infrastructure in several ecosystems. And it's, it's a lot different than I thought. Another area that um, another country that I'm working with is the Netherlands. And you know, the Dutch are like amazing. I'm a fan of, of the Dutch and the way they live their life sustainably as well. I remember being in I was invited by the U.S. State Department to represent the United States as an entrepreneur in the energy sector in mm -hmm. 2019 at the Global Entrepreneur Summit. Mm -hmm. And it was so funny. I was looking for a straw, a plastic, because I ordered something to drink. And it's like, plastic straws are banned. Yes. There are no plastic straws. Yeah. And it's just like, well, wait a minute. Well, what are you all doing? They, they gave us these metal containers for water. And I'm like, well, we can just buy some water. There is no bottled water. There wow. is no bottled water. <laughs> and it's like, you think about, you know, a whole country doing this. It's like, because they care about the oceans. They care about, you know, the environment and what plastic is doing, you know, and, you know, around the world. And it, being, being in Amsterdam and in The Hague changed me in a way I can't even describe. I can't even put it into words. It's like, and I started changing the culture of my business and in my home and um, looking at different ways we can be more sustainable. It's like, you know, still here in the States, it's a buzzword. It is still fairly a new industry, but it's also, but you want it to be a way of, of life. And so whereas I don't drink as much bottled water as I used to, now for one of my companies, I, I order just water is a um by Jaden Smith, Will Smith's son. Yes. Because the the is the water is in biodegradable cartons. Yes. And so now in everything that I do, I think about how would this be, you know, will it break down in a landfill? Yeah. It's amazing how that experience just changed your whole outlook on things because you would have never have known that had you not traveled. I would not have known that had you not shared that with me. Oh, no. I've never been to the Netherlands. So I, I and, you know. and even coming out of, from the airport in Amsterdam, going on a 
charter bus to the Hague to see the fields and fields of wind, you know, wind turbine. It's like, yes. it was like, wow. Mm-hmm. It, it's like, the, you know, I felt like oh, this is um, this is my home away from home. And they're one, they're the largest producer of um, flowers and um, exporter of flowers in the world. Oh, nice. And, you know, just, and, and so you have to think about that. If this is a major industry that supports the people in your country, you're going to do everything you can do mm-hmm. to support that industry and being more sustainable helps everyone. It helps our health. I have never ridden a bike as much as I have in digging in the hay because they ride bikes like everywhere. Yes. I have never seen so many bikes. Yes. And um, that week I lost 10 pounds. It was like, oh, oh wow. Yeah. From the biking and the walking and the smaller food portions. Yes. There, it just makes you, when you come back home, I think when you come, when you do anything internationally, and you come home and you look at things differently. So, and I want people to know there's a labor, a skilled labor shortage everywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. You can basically write your ticket if you want to go somewhere as an electrician. Mm-hmm. And you should not limit yourself to our borders and to the United States, in the United States. I think if it's somewhere you want to go, explore being an electrician there after you're trained, of course, here. And and I guarantee you, you'll find an opportunity for you to work in other places in the world. And one other thing, keep on want to run on, but one other thing I've noticed in Singapore, the only thing I did think, I honestly didn't think much about, oh, how they're going to treat me because I'm Black. I thought... And I still today think even more about how they're going to treat me because I'm a woman. Oh, wow. And when I was in Singapore, I was there with the Dale Women Network. And they that's where they take high-performing women with sales of one to two million or more in other parts of the world for us to do business with them. That's how I was introduced to Singapore through Dale Technologies. And um, while being there, the Minister of Global Affairs, which was is a woman, and this was in 2019 as well. She talked about women, the women construction, the women builders that helped build the city of Singapore and how they traveled from China to come there and build and how a lot of the historic buildings in in Singapore were built by women. And I'm t- I, I know I was so like, I was so like, wow. Because um, I'm, I have a company called Women Do Everything. And people, mm-hmm. I have several people that will tell me, well, won't, why don't you say women can do everything? And because it's, it, that, even though that's a true statement, women do everything. We've always done everything. We just never got the credit. And, and to see that these women are cemented into history for being, for building this amazing city it, it was just it was just overwhelming and it was so I was proud to to be a woman and to know about them and because when I'm friends with a lot of women in construction in Australia and in Canada mm-hmm. and they're doing some amazing things for women in those um, countries and um, well in countries and on that continent and so I just tried to try my best to connect with as many women as I can because we all have the same issues, the same similar story. And it's just power and connection. Just, you know, just like you said, it's like your network is like one of the most valuable things that you can have. Yes, it is. It creates your opportunities. 
I wanted to ask you something, if I could, because you mentioned earlier about electricians being able to work all over the world and, and mm-hmm. not to just limit themselves to the geographical borders. With COVID, is there a protocol and are there organizations that people could look at? So let's say I'm an electrician because you said, hey, don't limit yourself. I don't know where to go. How am I going to know to go to Singapore, Netherlands, if I'm just sitting here in America, in Atlanta, as an electrician? How do I find out about those opportunities? And with COVID, what are some protocols and things that I have to do to prepare myself? Okay, that's a good question. Like I said, once you go through a training, whether it's with the IBEW or the IEC, which is independent electrical contractors, they have their own, I think, apprenticeship program, or whether you're going through trade school, it's like once you get into an industry and you start working in the industry, you and not just working at your job, but being part of the union, being part of going to some of the functions, going to conventions. It's like you have to insert, you have to put yourself out there. Yes. Even like as you said, LinkedIn and how we connect it is putting yourself out there. If you don't put your points on the board, nobody knows what you've done or what you're doing. It's like you have to, you have to, I wouldn't say that you need to say I'm an expert in the industry, but you do need to connect with certain job boards and certain companies to say I'm interested. Your your local utility company Mm -hmm. is always looking for people to, to, to work for them Mm -hmm. because we're only as good as our industry. So we, we care what all the programs that are started to introduce People into that industry, we're looking, we're paying attention, we're giving them advice. Like I advise a lot of tech, several technical schools, and I also advise some uh, nonprofit organizations that are that are bringing people in. And organizations, um, sorry to interrupt you. Could those organizations help people if they want to work overseas? So, meaning that, I guess where I'm going with the question, just to kind of dig a little deeper, is. How would, if I'm an electrician, would I have to go through an organization? Would I have to go through a job board to find out about an opportunity overseas? Because I think that that's, it's great that there are opportunities overseas, but it's, how do these people find out? I think it, I think you were kind of touching on it with the, uh, with certain unions, but I'm just wondering if there are associations or groups that can help them to, to discover those opportunities. Okay, well, as far as electrical, and I want to be clear, there's only one union. That's the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. And we're the best. (laughs) And so, yeah, yeah, we're the best. So I would say look for um, American companies that are international, whether it's Siemens, General Electric, Snyder Electric, which is Square D. It's like look for companies that actually um, work, have plants or need help in other countries Yes, and going through their HR and yes. looking at their careers. So even any, any international company, you can go on careers and they'll ask you what you scroll down on what com- country you're interested in. Okay. Nice. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, you know, just to, for the listeners out there, like Tanya says, target companies that have international experience, and when they, when they're, when you're applying, they give you an indication. They give you an area to fill in what countries you may be interested in working in. Again, I would also emphasize that people reach out to people in their network because I think networking and professional associations open up some of the best opportunities you, you could find. Now, now something that I'm impressed that you do is that 
you, you don't do the typical electrical jobs because you mentioned smart grid. And so talk to us about some of the different career paths for an electrician. So let's say somebody's going into this trade, you know, there are more than, there are multiple paths. I know there's commercial, I know there's residential, I know that there's now smart grid work, uh, I know that there are people who work on electrical cars, you know, like, because we're moving away from gas cars. Can you share just some of the different career paths that, you know, if I'm a high school student and I'm thinking of going into the electrical trade, some of the jobs I could probably do? Oh, of course. And um, as you stated, I don't do just regular electrical. I mean, I, we we have and we we still have to. But um, I chose in the last few years to um, start focusing and narrowing, narrowing in on just renewable energy mm-hmm. and smart, um, smart building technology because um, I'm fascinated by that. And it's the mm-hmm. future of our industry. Um, but Let's give you, I'll give you an example, just like for solar. So um, as of 2019, there were 250,000 solar solar workers in the United States. Only 7% of those 250,000 were Black. And this is not an old industry. This is new. And it's like, okay, well, why is that so? And as I did my research, because I had to do a presentation for a conference, and I found out that the only thing is people hire who they know. So we don't have that many black companies that are in this industry putting in solar. You're not going to have as many black employees. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't, you know, I'm not ruling out that there might be some discrimination, but there also there's no access because there's not enough um, minority contractors that are, are working in the industry. And I'm a member of um, Black-owned solar services. And we talk about this and we're pushing to get more work in this space. So we can hire more, more diverse teams, not just people of color, but more diverse teams. To, so to give you know, young black um, people an opportunity to learn this work and to work and to 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 get careers in this in this work because solar is increasing everywhere. Yes, it is. Yeah, and it's not hard. You don't have to be an electrician to be a solar worker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah now, some people are solid. Some people do the actual installation. It's just construction. Where people well, actually- it's several things you could you could do some design, but installing. It's like a plug and play kind of thing. So you, the people you see on the roofs and stuff, they're just putting the system and plugging them together. You don't have to be an electrician to do that. But yeah. when it's time to connect the electrical, the, the the electrical, I'm trying to make sure everybody understand what I'm saying. I don't want to get too technical. But when it's time to connect the, the solar system to the elect, electrical infrastructure of the building or the home, that's what you need to be an electrician for. So I think that's a great entry level point for people that are interested in the electrical industry is to come through that way. And then even lighting services, a lot of companies make money just changing light bulbs Um, parking lots and, you know, signs. So it's several entry level things that you can do to get into the electrical industry. Now there's electric, there's um, residential electrician, 
there's commercial electricians and then there's industrial electricians. Mm-hmm. And the skill sets are very, very different. The residential doesn't take as much training and it doesn't take as much, uh, I want to say, knowledge and to do the uh, residential. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot more to do commercial and it takes even more to do industrial. I'm an industrial mm-hmm. electrician um, by trade because I came up in paper mills, steel mills, and car plants. Mm-hmm. And the safety, uh, the safety should always be first anytime you're dealing with electrical. Another um, career entry level can also be as a lineman. And, you know, with these storms and seeing the power down, your, your local utility company. Um, but the IBW has an apprenticeship program for lime, linemen as well. So it, it's so, it, people don't expect you to come in and knowing everything, even when you're fresh out of school. They will meet you where they are. We're looking for more and more people to come into our industry. I would want you to come in through the union, but it doesn't matter as long as you're as long as you you're passionate about it and you're willing to do what it takes to be to educate yourself to add value to our industry. I welcome you. Excellent. Tell us what an elite performer looks like in your industry, because that that's something I think is so important. Is is you know, some businesses, you know, an elite performer. It's like if you're in sales, you sell a lot, you're an elite performer. If you're in management and your team performs all, you're an elite performer. But what makes an electrician in your industry? What makes them an elite performer? You saying from a company's perspective? Yeah. So you're a company, you've hired somebody, they yeah. start, they start work as an electrician. How do you know this person is an elite performer? This person is an average performer. This person maybe is below average. And so forth. But what is an elite performer like? What's a profile like? What is somebody you're like, wow, that's like the LeBron James of electricians, you know, or the Michael Jordan of electricians. You know what I mean? Like that's somebody who's just a high performer. What does it take to be that? What does that person look like in terms of their skill set and what they do? I would say a lead performer is someone that stays up to date on the National Electrical Code, someone that expands, I guess, expounds and expands their knowledge of different areas in energy and in renewable energy. You have some people that are just so passionate about what we do is that they're always learning and they're always challenging other people around them. And so usually our lead performers mostly become foremen or general foremen because they have a broader perspective of the, of the job of the, of the construction job or, whatever that they're doing, because if you only know what you do, it's, it's going to limit you, you know, to your opportunities. Mm-hmm. But if you understand the project management piece, the estimating piece, the uh, productivity piece, to how to get more out of people that are, that you are leading, I think those are the people that are like, the uh, you know, They'll, those people are hard to come by, too. And Speaking so of, I would, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of people that are hard to come by, I know your industry, there is, you know, there's a lot of talk about a lack of talent. You know, anytime I've talked to business owners in the skill trades, they always tell me they're having a hard time finding people. And we all know that the success of any company depends on attracting, hiring, and keeping the right talent. What are you doing as a company to attract and hire and keep the best talent in your company? Well, to be honest, it's, you know, I think like in sales, they say ABC always be closing. Yes. 
I think that's true about as an owner, especially today when you're trying to attract younger talent. Of course, you want to do great work and you want some of the the best people. But to attract those younger people, you got to have an amazing culture. And I think one of my, my industry is learning that. Yes, it's about the work, but it's also about how you treat the people. Yes. And as a, a union member, I learned that, of course, early on. But I think even now, culture is to another level to where it needs to be fun. It needs to be engaging. People need to know that they're valued. You need to invest in people. Um, I had one of my guys ask me the other day, you know, about cold classes because I've had you know, when they, there's one thing to offer them some, it's another thing for them to come to you and say, hey, I'm interested in this area. Will you invest in me to learn this? And I think the answer should always be yes. Because, you know, and some people fear, oh, well, if you, if I pay for this $5,000 class, they don't learn more and they're going to leave me. And to for me, but for someone to work under me and work with my company, take what they learn with me somewhere else, I think that's no greater compliment mm-hmm. because leaders be, should build other leaders. Yes, I agree. Yes, and you know, the whole weakest link chain, it's like that the weakest link in the chain is, that's true. It's like if you have people and you're suppressing them or not willing to invest in them, then you're weakening the strength of your um, of your company. Mm-hmm. So no, I, I support them in whatever um, my team wants to do. And I think other employees should do the same because trust me, just like they came, another one, another person is, is coming because it's word of mouth, how they yeah. are treated. I agree. I agree. Also, I think you're confident that if you're treating people well, they'll stay. The other thing too, is if they have a better opportunity, you're happy for them. They can go make more money. You develop. Yeah, it's a little different in the union as well because union members have a ticket. And once you get after your five years, you get this ticket. You can travel anywhere in the United States and in Canada and other parts of the world with your with the, your union ticket and sign up at the union hall and get another job. Mm-hmm. You have a core team that you try to that you need to keep keep as far as management and some lead electricians, but electricians come and go on projects. Yes. So you don't have that mindset. Oh, I gotta hold on to these people. What you should have is a mindset: is I need to treat these people well to make them want to choose my project when they see my name, see our company name on the job board. That's mm-hmm. Your, that should be your focus. I agree. That's that's your brand right there. You build a brand that everybody's kind of like, it's like, think about Google and Facebook. Everybody wants to go work at Google and Facebook. Right. Yeah. Your brand, right? So you're yeah. doing the same thing. It's the same concept. You're just, you're a smaller company, which is even more important because smaller companies are not as known as these bigger companies. So I get it. I understand. Um, so, you know, one of the things I do with my platform, Skill Stadium, is we use video to match employers and job seekers. Can you tell me how can videos for job prospects help you determine whether to bring a candidate into interviews? So, you know, instead of looking at a paper resume, now you're looking at a video of a person speaking. Well, I've never hired from video, but I could imagine that would help people see your personality. Personalities don't come through on paper. And so... Mm-hmm. I think it would help them see that your passion for the industry and your love for the work 
I think that is a good way if you could submit. I don't know any contractors that use video to hire, but it's a good way. I wouldn't say so much to hire. I'd say more to bring them in because I didn't expect to hire somebody like meaning that you have two applications, a paper resume to look at and a video, and you've got to bring somebody in through an interview. Not saying you're going to hire them off of it, but how would, you know, you've got to evaluate talent. Like a resume comes in, you've got to look at it and say, okay, I'm going to bring him in or I'm not. A video comes in, I'm going to bring him in. What, will a video make it quicker for you to bring in people versus a paper resume? No, I don't, not, our industry is still very traditional. Okay. And um, a lot of the times, these these amazing uh, men and women, they don't do a whole lot of talking. <laughs> sure. They do more on performance and, you know, and I think me seeing on paper, you know, so just because they are not, you know, video or technology savvy, savvy enough to do a video, you could be mm-hmm. passing up a great um, electrician that way. So that's sure. when help, help me and I wouldn't I don't know. I, I, you know, I'm sorry. I can't help you with that because. No, it's okay. I was just getting some. I was just. I always. I always have to do that on my podcast to get feedback on that. Oh yeah, yeah. Some of the older people that own these companies, they don't mm-hmm. care none of. They don't care anything about a video. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I've, I've I've gotten different perspectives. That's why, like I said, yeah. I always like to interview. Uh, like to ask people that because sometimes I've had people tell me that that's a game changer for them because. They're sending somebody in front of a customer, so they want to see how the person speaks right. and carries themselves versus because people can write anything on a paper. And when they see a video, they're like, okay, I see that this person can speak and carry themselves. I'll bring them in for an interview. Not saying they're going to get hired, but well, as a paper, for me personally, paper doesn't tell me anything because you can write anything you want on the paper. But if I see an elevator pitch of somebody, I know at least that they can communicate. Which to me, for any job, if you can't communicate, I, I'm not even considering you for hiring because you've got to be able to put a sentence together. That's how I see that. Well, because if you can't communicate, I can't put you in front of customers. Oh, well, see, that's the thing. In construction, you are not in front of customers. You're not even in front of the end user. You are job side of building. So the same the soft skills or whatever are not required for construction Maybe a little more maintenance because you're around sure. some of the end users. But when you're on a construction site, you're mostly communicating with your colleagues and with your foreman. Sure. No, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. I understand. So we want more people to know if you don't have that bubbly personality or this and that, there's a job for you in construction. <laughs> so. Yeah. Final question. Can you please share a website, professional association, or group that new electricians should be aware of. So like, I always want people to share some resources so that people who are listening, because one of the things with the podcast is we want to make sure that people get value. And I want you to share something tangible that people could go and check out today if they're interested in being an electrician. Well, you know, I'm still going to say the IBEW, (laughs) the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, that's IBEW.org. And on that page, you'll be able to choose um, an apprenticeship program in the city that's closest to you. Um, So Mm -hmm. you can gain the, um, you know, see how you are, what you need to do to sign up. Apprenticeship Mm -hmm. programs are funded by the Department of Labor. And so they're fairly um, open to anyone. 
Um, there is an aptitude test that you have to take, but that's the, you know, just a general take to make sure that you're at a certain level to where you can understand or mechanically inclined or something, but it, it just helps you. It helps them know if you are a good candidate for this um, industry. And um, other than that, I think you should just go for it. Like I said, even if you didn't do that, go to your local utility. And then for women, I want to also give them the National Association for Women in Construction. That's NAWIC, N-A-W-I-C. It's a great network. I'm one of the past presidents um, down here in the metro Atlanta area. And I just Brett think, Anderson. huh? I interviewed her. Yeah, Anderson. I love her. Yeah. 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 No, that's a great organization. Mm-hmm. That's a great organization. Yeah. So, folks, um, you heard it. Uh, NAWIC and the IEB uh, Union. Sorry, am I saying that right? NAWIC. IEB Union. NAWIC and the IEB Union. Yes, those are great resources. I'm going to make sure that they are in the notes, our podcast notes, because when this episode comes out, I put notes. And so I will make sure all those notes are are, in the, uh, are, are available, all those resources. Uh, Tanya, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I wish you a wonderful day and continued success. Thank you for having me, Keith. And I just want everyone to... Um to be encouraged, especially during this time in a pandemic, and look for opportunities to be essential workers. Our industry, you are considered an essential worker, and we need we need more people, more especially more um, minorities and women that have been systematically, you know, kept out of our higher paying industry. We need you to come in and to try if you were turned down before to try again, and also network. Put yourself out there, introduce yourself to people, ask questions, even when you're, and don't be afraid of no. Keep, keep going. Yeah, rejection is redirection. I agree. I like that. Amen. Thank you, Tanya. You're welcome. Thanks, Keith. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Skill Stadium. It would mean so much if you left a review on iTunes and told your family and friends about the podcast.